Hey everyone, Lena here in Chicago. I want to say welcome on a cold, bristly day. I'm recording this podcast. It's six degrees outside, so if you live somewhere warm, do not email me and tell me. I will just feel really bad. One of the advantages, though, of cold is that you don't mind being inside and doing the work. And so I'm excited to open the Gospel of Mark. We are going through uh, this um, book of Mark on our podcast over the next few months. And it's a 12-lesson series. Today is lesson two. You can download the PDF at livingwithpower.org under Bible study. You click on Bible study menu page. It'll open you up the page. The top study is called Jesus is Better Than Anything, or Jesus is Better, I think, or something like that. But Or Jesus Through the Eyes of Mark, I think. I can't remember what I called it. Anyway, you can click on it and download the PDF and do some homework in the two weeks between lessons. And you can fill in the blanks if you are doing this while sitting on a chair or if you're driving, just listen. And, and just want you to know how excited I am that you tuned back in. I am um, just really considered a privilege to open God's Word and to share it with someone and to know that it is helping us grow closer to Him. Last week, we spoke about why Jesus is better, and we talked about some of the characteristics of Jesus that come out in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, today, I want to talk, I've titled the lesson, Desperate Enough to Get Better. And I'm going to jump right in. There's no reason to, you know, to waste any more time on small talk. I know we all have a full day ahead of us, and so... Um, Let's just get right in. Are you desperate enough to get better? You will find that unless you desire to get better, you will not get better. And uh, how true is that? I found that to be true. I'm a pediatric emergency room doctor, and I see patients uh, all day long. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, the ones that got, get better are the ones who want to get better. They're the ones who uh, do what the doctor tells them. They're the ones who follow through with the treatment, and they're the ones who ultimately see uh, themselves get better. Uh, we see tons of patients who show up to the ER who have no desire to get better. Some even enjoy the sick process. Um, but no, we want to get better, and I think that's why uh, we are here under the teaching of God's Word, because I know with all my heart that God's Word transforms us and um, makes us more Christ-like. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that you will get to know Him uh, through the teaching of His Word. And if you already know Him, uh, I pray that this teaching would deepen your walk with Him. In Mark 2, we've left Jesus last week uh, cleansing the leper, and we talked about how Jesus came up to the leper and touched him, and uh, just how awesome that was. Uh, Jesus had left Capernaum uh, to preach the gospel, and now he's coming back to Capernaum in Mark chapter 2, and Capernaum is in the area of the Sea of Galilee. If you have a map in your Bible, go to the back of the Bible and look it up. It's cool to kind of see where he was. This is north of Jerusalem, and this was, Capernaum was kind of like his home base, and that's probably where Peter and uh, John, Peter and James and John lived. You know, he probably lived in the home of Peter and James. Uh, unclear exact details other than that was his home base for teaching. So now he comes back home and he uh, is spending his time um, teaching the word. How do I know that? Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 2. It says, when he, Jesus, returned to, Camer- to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. Why do you think people gathered like sheep to hear the preaching of the word. It says, uh, let me read you that verse again. It says, many were gathered together so that there's no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Now, I have a feeling they weren't there because of the preaching, although they probably were intrigued with the preaching, but I believe why they were there was that Jesus was healing 
people left and right. Anyone who came to him was healed. And I believe that is why people came. They were curious. They wanted to see what was happening. Jesus' reputation had already preceded him. Remember earlier in chapter 1, we were told how, how everyone was looking for him. And he said, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He was so focused on his message. And so he's now back in Capernaum. People have been waiting for him to come back. There's no room in the room where he's preaching the word. So what was Jesus doing? He was preaching the word. And, and I love that. I think, let's not forget that that is what Jesus came to do, is to preach the gospel, the good news of salvation. And so, of course, verse 3, the people, they're just one track minded. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So, so there's this guy, he's paralyzed, his friends, they've got him on a stretcher. If you were in Sunday school, I grew up in the 80s, we had Flanagraph Sunday school lessons, and they would show this guy on, you know, kind of paralyzed on a, on a stretcher, and four guys trying to bring him in. They can't get in. It's, it says in verse 7, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, that is incredible. Have you tried unroofing your house lately? He's just like, picture Jesus in a crowded room, preaching the gospel, they're standing room only, and then some guys like have a hammer and, and you know, trying to unroof this, this area big enough to let a stretcher down. It's not like they could sneak the guy through two tiles. They had to unroof a big area to let the stretcher down. I mean, man, these people were desperate enough to get better. And, 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 and I'm going to read you a little more and then give you some teaching points. It says, and when they saw, and, and when, I'm sorry, it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And, and I circled the sentence, and when Jesus saw their faith, many of us think of faith as a mental belief, as an acquiescence of the mind, and it is that, but it is so much more. I wrote a book called Resolved, 10 Ways to Stand Strong and Live What You Believe. It comes out in May. It's already available on Amazon. You can go on and buy it. Do it. Really, it will encourage me. But, but listen, this book, the essence of this book is this concept, that we say we believe a whole lot of things, but it is all words until we take a step of action. I'm going to talk more about that in a bit. And, and this is so powerful because it says Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something that people will be able to see in you. There's a transformation that happens when God changes your heart and your, your mind changes about yourself. Your, remember we talked last week about what repentance is. It's saying my, my way is not the right way. And it is coming to Jesus and acknowledging that his way is right. That is faith in God. Is taking a step of faith. I remember an analogy that, that we used to, or an illustration that many pastors used to use back in, when I was growing up. And it was like this guy who would put a cord across Niagara Falls and he was one of those crazy crazy guys who walked, you know, on the cord. What do you call those guys? And you go from one side to the other, you know, those guys. There was one guy who did that in Chicago across two skyscrapers last year. It was crazy stuff. And everybody was amazed by this Niagara Fall, you know, cross or over or whatever. And and, 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 and and so this guy would come to do this show and people would gather around him and, and they would say to him, like, he would ask them a question, do you believe that I can walk across the Niagara Falls on this tightrope? And everybody in the crowd would be like, yeah, yeah, we believe it. And then the man would look and say, the one of you who believes it, are you? I know that you believe it if you get in this wheelbarrow and let me wheel you across on the tightrope. And, and guess how many people signed up for that? Uh, yeah, no one. No one did. You see, they didn't really believe him. 
They wanted to see him. They were curious, watching him, much like the people who were gathered on Jesus. You think, man, this guy's ministry, Jesus' ministry was abounding, really? Because half the people who were there didn't ever believe him. Some were there to criticize him. Some were there because they were just curious. In fact, the majority were not true believers. And we'll see that. Uh, of course, in John 6, we're told how the more Jesus preached the word and what it means to follow him, the less the crowds became. They were there because they were curious, but very few of them were followers. Now, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, now listen, you're expecting a healing. So what did Jesus do? He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately we're told, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is huge. This was Jesus declaring to the watching world that he is indeed God. He was claiming to be God by by saying that he would forgive this man's sin. And this is why the scribes and Pharisees who hated Jesus were so critical of him because they were like, you are, you are making yourself to be God. But you see, Jesus was God, is God. And so he was speaking truth. And so now the easy part, he looks at the paralytic and says, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now, one observation in verse 5 where he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. I've read some stuff about this, and I, I like that, uh, that the truth behind that is that he doesn't say, son, your sins are, he doesn't speak to everybody who is carrying the paralytic, he doesn't speak to the whole crowd, he's speaking individually to the man who is paralyzed, and he sees in him something unique, he sees in him a faith, a, a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he, I, he calls him out, son, your sins are forgiven, he, 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 sees in him a faith that is willing to repent and be saved. And that, to me, is incredible grace. And so, he says to him, the easy part now, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You see, Jesus confirmed his claim to be God by doing God-like miracles. And that was why in his in his three-year ministry, he did so many miracles, so that people would see the essence of his deity. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. This was the real deal. How many people in modern day age have claimed to be God? And most of us think of them as crazy people. I mean, we know, I can give you example after example of people who have attracted temporarily people here on earth. And we read the stories and we think, man, how did anybody fall for this? It's rubbish. And yet we look at the example of Jesus Christ, the savior of this world. And we don't call him crazy because we see what he's done and we see him crucified and rose again and we'll get to that of course at the end of mark but this is incredible this encounter with the paralytic is incredible people say man jesus never claimed to be god this right here is his claim to be god that he would forgive sins now we thought, I told you the title to this teaching is Desperate Enough to Get Better. I just want to give you a couple of teaching points on, uh, three teaching points on, on what I just, I know I've been kind of expounding as I've read, but here's the first if you're filling in the blanks. Number one, desperate enough to come with all of your baggage. Are you desperate enough to get better? You say, man, how desperate am I? Are you desperate enough to come with all of your baggage? See, many of us are afraid to come to Jesus because we're ashamed of ourselves. We're ashamed of our past. We're ashamed of the things that we've done, the things that we are. And so instead of coming open-hearted, open-armed and saying, God, I got nothing to offer, but I need you. 
We're not that desperate. We come and we have facades and we try to hide who we really are behind nice clothes and a nice body and a nice look and makeup and whatever it is. And all these things are fine, but you understand what I'm saying. Until you come to the place where you're desperate enough to come with all of your baggage, you will not be desperate enough to get better. And so, so this paralysis is a picture to me of the baggage that we might bring. Some that we have not asked upon in our life, that we have not caused. Maybe you were born with a, with a handicap, or maybe something has happened to you. A, a spouse has hurt you. And so, maybe you were abused as a child, and so you have this shame that was instilled on you by somebody that you didn't ask for. I don't know how this man became paralytic, but I have a feeling he was born with it. And, and whether you were born with it or whether you caused it yourself, some of the greatest shame we bring to the table is the fact that we have caused our own heartaches in life. How many bad decisions have led to where we're at. And, and that shame that we carry can either draw us to Jesus when we get desperate enough and we get to the place where we're like, God, I, oh, I know you already know who I am. Now I'm here because I recognize that I cannot fix myself. And listen, when you come to Jesus with that attitude, he is more than happy. His arms are wide open waiting for you. He looks at the paralytic and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Where we expect punishment, he gives grace. Where we expect anger, he gives mercy. This is a God of compassion. So are you desperate enough to come with all of your baggage? There is no baggage too heavy for Jesus. There is no baggage too dark for his life. There is no baggage that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Are you willing to come to him with all of your baggage? Here's the second point. If you're desperate enough to get better, are you desperate enough to get beyond the externals to what really matters? We get so focused on the physical. We get so focused on our material needs. Man, I need my bills paid. I don't have a job. I need a relationship. I'm single. I need kids. I don't have them. And we get so focused on these things that we see and touch. We need a bigger house, a bigger car, a better job. We need to move out of our environment because we hate the weather. Whatever it is that you struggle with. But you know that Jesus sees beneath the externals in our life to what really matters. So he looks at the paralytic and he says, man, I see your heart and you need forgiveness. Do you know what your true need is in this life? Or are you so caught up with the things that are superficial and that will not last? Heaven is eternal. There's another life coming after this one, my friend. And you listen to me. Are you willing to take that forgiveness that is granted to you in Jesus Christ to get beyond the externals? I got to stop myself sometimes. You know, I get caught up with the externals. I get so caught up with my temporary, you know, temporal needs. And I, I got it over and over again in my daily time with God. God, what are you really trying to teach me in this situation? When I lack, what are you, are you trying to teach me to trust you? What, when, when I'm hurting, when I'm lonely, are you trying to teach me that there's intimacy with you? What is it that God is trying to do in our life? And until we get desperate enough to go beyond the externals to what really, get, what really matters, we won't be desperate enough to get better. If you want to get better, give up that baggage that you're carrying. Be willing to move beyond the externals. Ask the Lord, Lord, what are you trying to do in my life right now in this circumstance? As hard as it is. And then number three, are you desperate enough to trust the healer? Desperate enough to trust the healer. Now, here's Jesus. He looks at the paralytic. He says to him, your sins are forgiven. Okay, well, you can't see that. So there's a certain trust that has to take place that he's forgiven you. But now he says to him, pick up your bed and go home. Now there's a point of trust. Remember that story I told you about the tightrope? Now you got to get into the wheelbarrow and wait for him to wheel you across that tightrope, you see? So Jesus is saying to him, indeed, if you believe that you have forgiven, now let's see you put it into action. Pick up your bed and go home. And now this paralytic who has not walked in God knows how long has to get off his stretcher and walk. And it takes trust. 
in the healer to do that. Look, I see patients all the time. I understand that so much. I, I work in the ER, which is a unique environment because 90% of the time, I don't know the patients that I'm seeing. Now, 10% of the time, there are people who I've seen before and I get familiar with their faces. But for the most part, I walk in and I am a complete stranger to them. And when I tell them what's wrong with them and when I tell them, here's the medication that you use, I could be giving them poison for all they know. But you see, they decide coming into the ER that if they're going to be- get better, they are going to have to trust the healer. And, and in that circumstance, I, a broken physician, I mean, just a human who has a little bit of knowledge, I'm able to provide them something that might help them. But think about God Almighty and Jesus Christ. He has the answer. He has the healing. He has the remedy for our illness. And our illness is sin. And he offers it in Christ. He says, man, you need forgiveness for your sins. And we know that he went to the cross and died and gave his life as an atonement, as a payment for our sin. See, people always talk about, well, what are we saved from? What do we need forgiveness from? What, what, what is all this about? I mean, I mean, is Christianity about spending your eternal life in heaven and all the good things that God give us, gives us? You know, I think a lot of times we come to faith in Christ and many of us are so caught up with our own life. We, we want to continue living just like we are living right now, but we want to add Jesus to the mix because we figure, well, if, if this is a Savior who can change things, Maybe he'll change my life for the better. But you know that, that, that that's not what walking in faith is. That is not what following Jesus is about. You see, those, sometimes there are benefits of getting all of you know, your prayers answered and eternity in heaven, but they're, they're not the root of what happens when you come to Christ. You see, our problem as humans is that we are the recipients of God's wrath. We are born in sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners simply because we sin. Do you, you see the difference? We are born sinners, therefore we sin. Not the other way around. See, a lot of us think, oh, I've sinned, therefore I'm a sinner. No, we are sinners, therefore we sin. And that sin separates us from God. His wrath, his anger is on us because he's holy and he cannot stand sin. And the only way that his wrath is appeased is by somebody paying the price for that sin. And either you pay the price for the sin and are separated eternally from him, or else you put your trust in Jesus who paid the price for your sin on the cross. And that is what Jesus did for us. And, our, and the question is, are you desperate enough in your life at this point to trust the healer? And, and many of us who are listening might have come to the point in our life where we've trusted him for our salvation. But now I want to ask you, are you also desperate to trust him in your day-by-day life? As he's trying to heal you of woundedness in your life, as he's trying to heal you of of broken relationships and besetting sins, constantly falling trapped to the same sinful habits. Are you willing to take his word and do what he says? You know, that's what trust is at the end of the day, isn't it? It's you believing what someone tells you. Trust is acting on what you hear, what you know. If you trust that the bed will hold you, you're willing to lie on it. If you trust that the doctor is honest, you'll take the medicine he gives you. There's an action that follows, which actually brings me to the number four, desperate enough to take the next step of action. We're talking about being desperate enough to get better. So first, let go of all of your baggage. Second, look beyond the externals. Third, be willing to trust the healer. And now, be desperate enough to take the next step of action. That kind of applies to the paralytic. We talked about how he how he picked up his bed and got up. But, but that action is going to differ from person to person. I don't know what your next step of action is, but look at Levi next in the reading. In verse 13, it says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now you say, what was Levi's next step of action? 
It says, and Levi, and he rose and followed him. So for Levi, the next step of action was to leave his old life. You know, being a tax collector in that day was a horrible job. People disdained it. They thought they were crooks, the tax collectors. They didn't want anything to do with them. They were thieves. They stole people's money. And they were reviled by people in the culture. And that's who Jesus walked up to, looked at, pointed, and said, You, Levi, son of Alphaeus, come, follow me. He said, he, Levi had a choice at that point. Now, he's, you know, whether you're a Calvinist or Arminian, if you don't know what those words mean, it doesn't matter. The point is, there was a point where he, Levi had to make a resolve to get up and to follow Jesus. He had to resolve to take the next step of action. And you listen to me. Sometimes you got to get desperate enough to make that resolve. And so I want to ask you in your life, what is the next step of action of faith and trust that Jesus is asking of you today? And, and my second question is, are you desperate yet enough to take that next step of action? See, I, I look at my life and some of the patterns of sin in my life that have happened over years where I wanted to get victory, but I would fall back into sin. I wanted victory and I'd fall back into sin. And I've written about that. You can read it in my book, Thrive. I mean, I got so frustrated with that. But, you know, I was never desperate enough to get better. I figured I could fix it on my own. And it wasn't until I felt like I hit rock bottom that I was willing to say, God, now it's your way because my way is not working. And, and some of us look at the bad situations in our life as the horrible things, the worst thing that could happen to us. But you know, sometimes that is the place where we're willing to listen to the Lord and to actually take that next step of action. And so if you're in that mire, in that pit right now, can I encourage you? You might be in the perfect place to be desperate enough to get better. And so don't try to fix it all. Just, just, just ask the Lord today, what is that one next step of action? Maybe it's getting up, picking up your bed and walking. Maybe it's leaving your old job like Levi did and starting a whole new life. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you're listening to this podcast. Somehow, someone put it on your Facebook, you clicked on it and you got suckered by my accent and you're like, this girl is crazy, she talks too fast, she's a doctor, thinks she's a preacher. Whatever it is that you think I am, it doesn't matter. The Spirit of God is working in your heart. Maybe this is the first time you hear the invitation that Jesus gives you to get up and to follow Him. And are you willing to turn your back on the way that you have been living? Many people want to come to Jesus and, like I said, add Him to the equation. Here's my life, God, now just come and make it better. But you know, that's not the way of the Lord. God wants you to leave the old behind. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All is The old is passed away. All has become new. What has become new in your life as a follower of Jesus? Think about that today. All right, let's keep going. A couple more thoughts and I'll be done. Uh, so, so Matthew gets up and follows him. His name is Levi, changes to Matthew. Maybe he wanted to change because he didn't want to be identified with his old, old ways. But it says, and as he reclined Jesus at table in his house. So Jesus goes over to Matthew's house. This is a huge deal because this guy was a sinner. Levi, Matthew, was a sinner because he was hung out with tax collectors and sinners. So let me read verse 15. It says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, the Pharisees were the ones who hated Jesus. This is, this is when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a huge verse. You've got to circle it, focus on it, spend time meditating on it this week. Look, if you're well, you don't need a Savior. If you think you're, nobody's well, but some of you think you're well. Some of us think we're well in an area. We won't get help if we think we're well. It is only when we acknowledge our need 
that when you come to the great physician, Jesus Christ, and say, God, I need your help. I'm sick. I am broken. I need healing. And when you do that, man, the great physician will help you. He loves you. I think about the extent to which I will go to help my patients, and I don't even know them. Think about a man, a God Almighty, in the form of man who knows everything about you, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is crazy stuff. This was a radical teaching. It gets even more radical. I'm not, well, let me read some of it, but actually, I'm not going to read it all because I, uh, actually, let me give you first the teaching point. Sorry, number five. There's two more points. Here's number five. We're talking about being desperate enough to get better. And so here's number five. Are you desperate enough to recognize your need? Are you desperate enough to recognize your need? Those who are, well, who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Say, man, I got everything I need. I'm financially good. I'm hot as stink. You know, I, I got the girls chasing me. I got the guys or whatever it is that your thing is. You got it. But then you don't need a savior. You'll find out someday that you did need one, but it might be too late at that point. But maybe you're honest. And I'm telling you, I grew up with privilege. I've traveled the world. I speak many languages. I've been well-educated. I mean, I'm telling you, I got, I mean, I mean, if you look at my resume, probably the biggest thing is I didn't get married from a societal perspective, but money, uh, degrees, responsibility, I've had it. And yet, deep, deep in my heart, I'm telling you honestly, deep in my heart is a need to be loved unconditionally. And I have family members that love me like crazy, but deep in my heart is a is 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 the to know that someone knows me well, so well, and still loves me so much. And I'm telling you, everything in my life goes back to that point. And I know after thirty years of walking with Jesus that there's nothing that I bring to the table that he doesn't embrace with both his arms. I mean, he knows us so well, yes, yet he loves us so, so deeply, so much. But there comes a point in my life, there comes a point in your life where we've got to recognize our need. And our need is not financial. And it's not relational, just here on earth. And it's not sexual. And it's not, you name it, physical. These are all needs, but they're temporary needs. But our real need is to be to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you have peace with God, no one can touch you. When God is pleased with you, no one can touch you. And then we get to the last section. This is a section, and I don't think I have time to read it all. I'm sorry. I know last week I did the same. But you guys should be reading this on your own. I pray that God is stirring your hearts to want to, to, to find out more about Him. But basically, two things happen. First, there's a question about fasting, and then a question about the Sabbath. And the idea here, so the Pharisees are attacking Jesus in the area of tradition. And so, and so they, they question, John's disciples fasted. How come you guys don't fast? He, they say to Jesus and his disciples. And then in verses 23 through 27, they kind of pick on them because they noticed that, that Jesus and his disciples were picking grain in the field on the Sabbath. And that was unheard of in that day because the Sabbath had become so religiosity full of like, of this is how we do things. And they had all of these laws related to the Sabbath. And so they accused Jesus, how can you do this? This is not lawful on the Sabbath. And in both cases, Jesus answers in an incredible way and you have to read these passages they're, they're hard passages but in one he gives this example of a of a 
of a wine uh, skin and how you don't put old wine in new skin. And, he, and then in the second time, he goes back and gives an example of David where he says that, and I remember David, where when he was hungry, he went in the temple and ate the bread. And, and the Sabbath, it says in the last verse, he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, a claim of deity right there in that statement. And so you go, man, what desperate needs? Is, what, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about desperate enough to get better? And it is this last idea, desperate enough to go against tradition. Desperate enough to go against tradition. See, if you come to the table and you're like, man, we, we've always done it this way. And, and you don't understand. I, I grew up believing this. And my parents believe it. And our culture teaches it. And what you're saying is so completely new to anything that we know. Then you're never going to be desperate enough to get better. But it is when you acknowledge that the way that it's always been, in the case of the Pharisees and the section in Mark, it is tradition and the law. Those days are done, what Jesus was saying. He says, a new kingdom is here. A new law thing is here. He, he, Jesus came to fulfill the law. We learned that in the Gospel of Matthew and throughout the Gospels. But he came to preach a new kingdom of grace, only available to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. This is incredible. So you can't just take the old way and add to it the new way. It is a completely radical new way. And in order to embrace the new, you have to dispouse, you have to divorce yourself from the old ways that do not work, that are limited. I mean, think about the law. Who could accomplish the law? No one. And yet here the Pharisees were trying to do everything that the law demanded and failed over and over again. And they couldn't think past their own brains. And that's what sometimes happens to us. We're unwilling to take what Jesus tells us, to be desperate enough to go against tradition. Now, everybody who has followed Jesus has at some point in their life said, okay, the way I've been doing it is not right. There's one way and only one. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And it has to come a time in your life where you acknowledge that. But I find that even in walking and in following Jesus daily, there comes a point in our life that we, we accumulate baggage as Christians. And we get so caught up in the way we always do things and, and how important it is if we want to get better. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for decades and you're so hung up on the way that your church teaches things. And I want to ask you desperately, would you go back to God's word and let him speak to you through his word? Now, I'm not, look, you're, you may be in a very biblical church. I'm not, my goal isn't to try to get you to argue with the teachings of your church. I'm just saying, where do you get the things that you get? Where is your... Where is the truth seated in your life? And if it's not seated in the Word of God that is inspired to us and given to us freely, then you, 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 if you don't know where it's coming from, then you got to stop and ask, man, am I, am I desperate enough to get better? And so obviously the logical com- conclusion is have a relationship with the Lord through His Word. Read the Word in order to know God who gave you the Word of God. That is why, even as a doctor, I spend day after day thinking about the Word and spending time in the Word. It's not that I worship the Word itself, those letters on a page. It's that I know that these God-breathed words are bringing me closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're helping me understand the living Word who is Jesus. Jesus Christ. All this to say that if you want to know the Lord, you spend time in His Word. If you want to deepen yourself with the Lord, if you want to have a deeper relationship with Him, start memorizing the Word of God. Listen to me. Start eating the Word of God and meditating on it and let Him direct what your brain thinks. When you think about yourself, you might be tempted to think, man, I'm a loser. I haven't gotten married. I don't have a job. I can't pay my bills. That is a human way of thinking, but you think about what God says about who you are. When you Get into the Word of God. You'll, you'll hear Him say to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. My, your name is imprinted on the palms of my hands. 
and you'll be encouraged to know the truth of who you are and, and your identity will be shaped by what God says about you. And when you get to that place, you listen to me, you will be unshaken. You'll be able to stand strong no matter what. That is the awesome thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is he gives you everything when you know him and when you're walking after him and when you're when he comes and lives in you and makes your heart his home. So I pray you have that with him and if you don't, let this be the day where you turn to the Lord. Just tell him in the privacy of your car or your house or wherever you are. Maybe you're out on a treadmill. Just stop for a second and just say, God, I believe it. I believe that Jesus died to pay the price that I could not pay to appease your wrath and to cleanse me from all my sin. And I thank you and give you my life in return. That is what happens. There's a transaction where you give him everything as a result. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. So I challenge you with this today. I'm going to end. I appreciate you. I love you. And I pray that you and I would be desperate enough to get better. So think about those things. I'm going to repeat them and I'll end. Desperate enough to come with all of your baggage. Desperate enough to get beyond the externals to what really matters. Desperate enough to trust the healer. Desperate enough to take the next step of action. Desperate enough to recognize your need. And desperate enough to go against tradition. Hey, are you desperate enough? And what are you going to do about it today? You need to email me. Use lina, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org. Or go on my site, livingwithpower.org, livingwithpower.org. You'll find out a whole lot more resources and plenty about me. And uh, I love you guys, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks, okay? Take care.